are listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Today's scripture reading is in Jonah uh, 1 through, 117 through 210. It's found on page 752 in the Pew Bible. The Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? The waters closed over me, the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. Good morning, everybody. I just got to say, I was loving that music this morning. It's like a little mini concert here, honestly, between the kids and the men's chorus and Linda. The cello sounds amazing. Um, that was awesome. Thank you, everybody, who was involved in that in some way today. So for the last couple weeks, we've been exploring the book of Jonah together, and today we finally get to the part of the story that everybody knows, the part where a guy gets swallowed by a big fish and puked up on the shore safe and sound a few days later, right? Is that part funny? I'm sorry. I'm missing the laughing. Okay. All right. So, but this is, this is the part of the story we know. It's worth noting, though, that this account of Jonah and the belly of the fish is actually a relatively minor part of the story. Like, it's ironically what Jonah is known for, but it's a pretty small piece of the much larger story, and we've been getting into that story uh, over the last couple weeks. The Song of Jonah takes up the bulk of chapter 2, but other than that, this account of Jonah and the belly of the fish is only like three verses in this much bigger story. At its heart, Jonah is a story that forces us to grapple with the fact that God loves our enemies just as much as God loves us. Jonah is an Israelite called to prophesy in Nineveh to warn the Ninevites that destruction's coming if they don't repent. But there's a little problem. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And the Assyrians are the bad guys. The Assyrians are the one who have brutally oppressed and then destroyed Jonah's people. So of course Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to preach repentance to the Ninevites because he hates the Ninevites. These are his enemies. The last thing he wants is for the Ninevites to repent 
and receive mercy. He wants them crushed, just like his people were crushed. And he wants God to do the crushing. Do you see how much of the bigger picture of this story gets lost if we boil it down to a story about a guy in the belly of a fish? There is so much more here. And this really strange thing has happened to the Jonah story over the last 200 years where it's become this sort of litmus test for like, determining where you fall and how you view the Bible. Um, on one side, you've got people who like, dismiss this story outright as like a fairy tale. It's absurd. A person couldn't be swallowed by a fish and spit out days later. And oftentimes that leads to kind of dismissing the whole Bible as well as a collection of fairy tales. Then on the other side, though, you've got these people who want to defend the Bible at any cost. And so every word of Jonah happened exactly as recorded. And they'll point to news stories about someone being found alive in the belly of a fish or a diver almost being swallowed by a whale. And it'll be like, see, that's the proof. And they kind of fight back and forth using this text as a weapon against their enemies. A text about how we're supposed to love our enemies. Funny how that works. So we're not going to talk about news stories about divers today. Um, We're not going to talk about the mechanics of getting swallowed by a fish or whether this story is meant to be taken literally or as more of a parable. Instead, I want to talk about grace. Grace is what's missing from these polarizing debates. And in the context of this much larger story, Jonah being swallowed by the fish is a radical act of grace. When we last checked in on Jonah, he was in a bit of trouble. If you remember our sermon from last week, it ended with a cliffhanger. Jonah's on the boat headed in the opposite direction from Nineveh, but then God sends a storm and Jonah's hurled into the sea. He's drowning. And that's where our passage picks up for today. The Lord provided a large fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. A couple weeks ago, we had Cephas Archie from the College of Brockport here to preach uh, at the church, and he preached on this very passage. And Dr. Archie pointed out something that's often missed in this story. The fish actually saves Jonah. Before he was in the belly of the fish, he was in the waves fighting for his life. So as terrible as it would be, I imagine, to be swallowed by a fish, iced out of the water, so this never happens to me, but as awful as that would be, In this context, it's an improvement. God sends the fish as an act of grace to rescue Jonah. Grace in the form of a fish. Remember that at this point in the story, Jonah's in all-out rebellion against God. The prophet of God is literally fleeing God's presence. And we saw in chapter 1 last week, when the storm comes, Jonah doesn't repent He doesn't ask for forgiveness. He doesn't say to turn the ship around or acknowledge that he was wrong. He doesn't pray. He doesn't offer a sacrifice. And as we're going to find out when we get into chapters 3 and 4, he still very much hates the Ninevites. Jonah's in all-out rebellion against God, and God saves him anyway. That is grace. Unmerited, undeserved radical grace. Jonah didn't even ask for this grace. He's the one who commanded the people on the boat to throw him overboard. So not only is Jonah unrepentant, Jonah would rather die 
than follow God. He'd rather die than go to Nineveh and preach to his enemies. But God saves him anyway. That is radical grace. By Jonah's own standards, going off of his experience, what's supposed to happen to people who rebel against God and seek the destruction of their enemies? What does he think should happen to the Ninevites? They should be destroyed. And that means that by his own standards, Jonah deserves to die. But God doesn't play by Jonah's rules. Now, this is all a really big setup. Like, if you're following along in the story, we're being set up here, and Jonah is being really set up. Jonah's going to be the butt of the joke when we get to chapters 3 and 4. Remember, this is also a really funny book. But God extends grace to a rebellious, unrepentant prophet. God saves Jonah when Jonah doesn't even ask to be saved. What do you think is going to happen when Jonah gets to Nineveh? Do you think God's going to destroy the Ninevites? Or do you think God's going to extend grace to them too? Yeah. This is a radical story. The story of Jonah pushes us not only to acknowledge that we have received grace, but that the same God who extends grace to us also offers grace to our enemies, to people that we don't think belong. Before I was called out here to be your pastor, I was a theology professor. And you might not know this, half the job of being a theology professor is to referee the debates that break out in your classroom. Super fun. Um, And I remember this one lecture, we were talking about judgment and uh, different Christian perspectives on hell. And of course a debate breaks out between the more traditional conservative students in the class and the more universalist students, the students who think that in the end, somehow God will find a way to save everyone. And this debate devolved pretty quickly into one of those matches of like biblical jujitsu. You know, both sides have their passages, the conservative students have their verses, and then the universalists have their own, and it goes back and forth for a few rounds like that. And then one of the more conservative students in the class spoke up, and what he said was really personal. He was like, look, I've been a Christian most of my life. I came to faith when I was a kid. I've been in church my whole life, serving, leading, trying to live in a way that honors God. And if I'm going to get to heaven someday, and there are going to be people there who just got in, they didn't have to do any of that, well, then I don't even want to be there. And that's when I had to step in. Whoa, whoa. Time out for a second. Let's work through the implications of what you just said. Do you think you've earned something? Do you think that because of all this stuff you've done, you're somehow more deserving of grace? I don't think that's how grace works. You might have pursued holiness. You might have a vibrant faith. You might have said a prayer when you were a kid at Bible camp. That's all amazing. But that's not the gift. 
That stuff is opening your hands to receive a gift. The gift came 2,000 years ago, long before any of us were even a glimmer of a glimmer in someone's eye, when God took on flesh and dwelled among us. The gift came when God died at the hands of human violence only to deliver us from death. That's the gift. And I don't know what you would call a gift that was given 2,000 years before any of us was even around to receive it, but I would call that grace. Radical, unmerited grace. We are all the recipients of grace. Grace that's available to us regardless of who we are, what we've done, or where we came from. Grace we will never have to account for or earn. Grace that was made available to us before we even opened our hands to receive it. It was there, waiting. Now, when you get this kind of, like, radical, unmerited grace, it can have two very different effects on you. On the one hand, grace can humble us. It can, like, transform us into more gracious people. People who allow that grace we've received to kind of flow out and bless those around us. Have you ever known somebody like that? Have you ever known someone who is just like a beacon of grace? I've been lucky enough to know a few people like that. It's like every word they speak, every action they take is just drenched in the love of God. And when I ask someone like that what it is that makes them different, without fail, they tell me about the grace they've received. So that's one effect grace can have on us. There's also an opposite effect. Sometimes when we receive grace, we feel entitled. We feel like we actually deserve the grace we've received, like it's ours to possess and no one else's. It's worth noting that these two extremes are not mutually exclusive. Like, depending on the day, or depending on the person I'm dealing with on that day, I might be a loving channel of grace, or I can be an entitled little grace hoarder. (laughs) So you can exhibit both of these traits. And Jonah has both of these in his song of thanksgiving. He is clearly grateful for the grace he's received. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried out, and you heard my voice. Sheol is the grave or the pit. So he's like crying out to God from death. And God was there. Jonah knows he was a goner. And he knows God saved him. And I bet deep down he knows he doesn't deserve it. And so he rejoices at the grace he's received, which I think is the appropriate response. But as beautiful as this song of thanksgiving is, it also displays some of the darker side of grace. There's a sense of entitlement that creeps into this song. Jonah's song looks a lot like the songs of thanksgiving we find in the Psalms with one glaring omission. Usually the Psalms include some mention of repentance. There's a line where the psalmist acknowledges that they're in the wrong and they ask God to forgive them. But Jonah doesn't repent in his song of thanksgiving. 
He doesn't ask for forgiveness. In fact, at the end of Jonah's song in verse 8, where we might expect to find a word of repentance, Jonah instead starts throwing jabs at people of other faiths. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Does anyone remember what happened last week? in chapter 1 of Jonah. I know it's hard to remember a sermon a week out. I can't do it half the time. But does anyone remember what happened right before he fell into the water? Because it matters for this. In chapter 1, Jonah's fleeing from God on this boat, and there's a bunch of pagan sailors, a bunch of idol-worshiping sailors. And it's those sailors who beg Jonah to speak to God. It's those sailors who end up offering sacrifices to Jonah's God and making vows. Jonah didn't sacrifice. Jonah didn't make vows. He's taking credit for the grace he's received while simultaneously throwing the people back on the boat who were actually repenting under the bus. Jonah received grace and he's grateful for it, but it also makes him feel entitled. How has grace affected you? How has your demeanor, your attitude, your posture toward other people been impacted by the grace that you've received? Has it humbled you? Has it turned you into a more gracious, loving person? Or has it had the opposite effect? Do you sometimes catch yourself feeling entitled to this grace? Maybe you're like me, and it depends on the day. Who are the people that you would be annoyed to see in the afterlife? <laughs> see, you know who they are. I love this. I love the laughs. It's very telling. This is awesome. <clears throat> More here and now, who are the people that if you knew they'd be sitting next to you in the pew, you'd think twice about coming to church? And a really important caveat that I need to add here, because this is really important. I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I'm saying. Abuse is real. Trauma is real. And so obviously, if there is someone who it is not safe for you to be around, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm talking about the types of people you've been conditioned to distrust, maybe even to hate, if we're honest. Maybe you were raised to believe that those kind of people were your enemy. Maybe someone who like, looks like them or believes like them harmed you at some point in the past, and you think they're all like that. Maybe it's a certain personality type that just gets on your nerves. Or maybe it's someone who makes you aware of a flaw in yourself that you're not ready to deal with yet. That's mine. <laughs> this world presents us all the time with good guys and bad guys, insiders and outsiders. And the temptation is to believe that we're the good guys. That God is on our side and that God hates all the same people we hate. Our world 
is being torn apart right now by political partisanship, white supremacy, xenophobia, tribal conflict, competition for resources, fear of the other. And the only thing that can overcome all of that is grace. Radical, unmerited, undeserved grace. That's the kind of grace we are called to embody. And maybe you're here today as someone who hasn't received that grace yet. Maybe you've been made to believe that you don't belong, that you're worthless, that you don't fit. That the God of the Bible is this angry, vengeful deity who has it out for people like you. But the God of Jonah stands in contrast to all of that. The God of Jonah extends grace we don't deserve before we even ask for it. And all we're asked to do is to receive that grace and allow it to transform us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for radical stories that teach us just how expansive your grace truly is. We ask that your grace would transform us into more gracious, loving people and that we would be conduits of your grace in our communities. Relieve us of any sense of entitlement. Help us to love our enemies. Give us the grace to see all people as you do. And God, I offer a special prayer for anyone here who has yet to receive the grace you offer. I pray that you would flood their lives with love and mercy. Open their hearts to see the truth about you and your grace. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.